So there I was. I'd come home and I could smell it the instant I got in the room. I feel like I should have made this cupcakes after just doing the cupcake wars, but, but it, it was cookies. I, I could smell the fresh baked cookies my mom had just made. My mouth started to water. I wanted them so bad. They're, they're so delicious. But I knew her rules. You can't have dessert until you've had dinner. But I wanted them. I wanted the cookies really badly. Taking one wouldn't be that big of a deal anyways. Plus, I'm pretty clever So I had it all planned out after I grabbed one. When mom asked, I would say, well, it is after dinner. Last night's dinner, you didn't specify which dinner it had to be off. Technically, it is after some dinner. Not surprisingly, when I said that, she wasn't too impressed. She she knew that I understood that that was not the point of the rule, that that wasn't what she meant. But I was trying to find any way I could to justify giving in to my desire, into my temptation to have those delicious chocolate chip cookies. We as human beings are a pretty creative bunch. When we want something, we will find every loophole, every technicality, every possible way to justify getting what we want, even if it may not be the most honest, the most truthful, the most righteous way, as long as it doesn't break the letter of the law, then we feel like we're okay. Maybe we know better, but, well, technically it's not what the rules said. They should have made it more clear that this wasn't within those boundaries. See, we we love to push and test, bend and once in a while, if we're honest, break the rules set before us. We like to do things to get our own way. And when we want something, we have lots of different ways of figuring out how to get it. We always seem to find a way to justify our sins, our faults, our failures, our mistakes. We never take ownership. We always find a way to make it seem like it's more or less okay. In today's story in in the garden, Adam and Eve had one thing that they weren't allowed to have. But of course, that's the one thing they seemed to want most. And God didn't put it at the side of the garden it's in the midst, in the middle of the garden was this tree with forbidden fruit. So every day as they went about their business, they had to see it. They had to be reminded. They had to be reminded that this fruit was there and that God said that they weren't allowed to have that. It was for their benefit, but they just kept on looking over it. It was kind of like the next time my mom made cookies. Of course, where did I sit as I was doing my homework? Promptly about a foot and a half away from the plate of cookies constantly looking at them. They look awfully good. Maybe, maybe I'll grab one. Maybe she won't notice this time, right? It's, it's easy to start going right near the thing that you can't have. You always seem to want that a little bit more. I didn't need those cookies, 
but I wanted them. Adam and Eve had everything they needed in the garden, but they wanted that fruit that looked so good, so tasty, so succulent and ripe. They wanted it. And it's right around that time that Satan came and began to speak to them. Well, God didn't say that you couldn't eat any of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden, did he? No, 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 God didn't say that. God, but he did say if we eat from this tree, we'll surely die. You will surely not die. No, you'll, you'll be like God. You'll have wisdom and knowledge of good and evil. Satan always tempts us, just like he tempted Adam and Eve, to doubt God's intentions and his goodness. Satan always misuses God's word to make us question God's intentions towards us. And so we start to wonder, well, why is God keeping the equivalent of this plate of cookies away from me? What does he know? Why does he get to tell me what's right and what's wrong for my life? Why can't I have what looks good and appealing to my eyes? And so we start to justify. And we give in. We give in to those temptations just like Adam and Eve. And then just like Adam and Eve, we suffer the consequences. We might think that breaking this little rule, doing this little thing doesn't hurt anyone else. It doesn't cause any problems. But then we feel it. We feel the guilt over knowing we've done what we shouldn't. The shame over breaking some rule that was clearly there for either our benefit or the benefit of somebody else. Suddenly we feel isolated because we have to keep a secret what we've done from the people who told us we couldn't do it. And we start to feel weak. As we heard in the psalm, the Lord's hand feels heavy upon us as we know we've done what we shouldn't. And ultimately we realize that we face death because of our own rejection of the relationship God has offered us. We seem to be stuck. Stuck in our own sinful patterns. It's easy to walk that path. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? It's there that we lost my spot. It is in Christ as we continue to walk this path, we, we think we've got the answers. And we think that it's not that big of a deal and that God is holding out on us. That he's telling us that we don't know what's best for us and we start to doubt God's intentions. We turn away from we go our own way and just like Adam and Eve, our ancestors, we rebel against God's will. We rebel against what he says is best for us. We rebel against where God is leading us. We fail to walk faithfully. We fail to heed God's commands. See, God knows this and he sees us and and just like Adam and Eve and our ancestors before us, we constantly turn away. And so God takes matters into his own hands. He sends Jesus Christ, his son, to walk faithfully where the first Adam fell and where you and I fall short. Jesus does it perfectly. We, as God's people, are not a people of second or third or millionth chances. 
We are a people of one chance and then reliance on a savior who is perfect in our place. Because it would not matter how many chances you or I had, we would continue to fall short. We continue to give in to sin. As David says in Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. From the moment we were brought forth, by nature we turn away from God and so we need someone else to come and do it perfectly in our place. So God sends Jesus. In the story from today's gospel lesson, We hear Jesus just after he's been baptized in the Jordan River and God proclaims over him, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And now the spirit drives him into the desert wilderness, not just to be tested, but to be tempted by Satan. He goes out there and it's to tempt whether or not Jesus will hold fast in his identity as God's son. Will he trust in God's faithfulness? Notice When Satan comes and questions Jesus, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, then prove it. Have God come and rescue you. If this is truly who you are, then show me. Don't don't tell me you trust that is true. Show me, prove to me who you are. Prove that you're good enough. Prove that you're the perfect one. But Jesus resists temptation perfectly. Adam and Eve in the garden where they had all that they needed fell short. They couldn't simply trust in God's faithfulness. But Jesus, in the desert wilderness, far from the prosperity, far from the abundance of the garden, remains faithful. Jesus remains faithful. You might be thinking, well, that's great. Jesus is perfect. He always is. That's what Jesus as the perfect son of God does. But what about me, pastor? I'm not perfect. I fall short. So is this just another sermon telling me that I need to read God's word and and know it better and that I need to be able to, to pull myself up by my bootstraps and act better? That's really about moral living and doing the right thing and, and being just a better person? No, that's not the point of this sermon. It's not the point of this story in the Gospels. This isn't something that you're supposed to aspire to be like. The story of Jesus' temptation is all about his work as Savior in our place. It's all about what Jesus has done for you and me perfectly where we could not. He is victorious. He is faithful. He is perfect where we have fallen short. Where the first Adam gave in to sin, Jesus stood as the second Adam, perfect in our place. See, his perfection, his obedience was for all people. That includes you and me. So just as sin entered into the world through one man, the first Adam, so too through one man, life and forgiveness, righteousness and salvation has come for you through Jesus Christ, the second Adam. See, when Jesus went into the waters of baptism at the Jordan River, he identified with you and me as sinners, as broken people. He he identified with our condition. But he doesn't just stop by identifying with us. No, he takes it one step further. He goes the way of the cross and takes our sin, our shame, our guilt, our shattered lives upon himself. 
And when he goes into the grave in death, he buries them with him. And when he rises, he rises with nothing but salvation and holiness, perfection to give to each and every one of us. We call this the great exchange. Jesus takes the condemnation, the judgment we deserved upon himself, and in return, we get life and forgiveness, salvation and freedom. That's what Jesus has to offer to you and me. In Jesus' temptation, we see God's power in action. See, because surely after 40 days in the wilderness of fasting, Jesus must have been hungry and weak, vulnerable, And as Satan comes, Jesus remains faithful and strong in God's word. We see that God is sufficient for all that we need. When Jesus is hungry and Satan says, come and turn these these stones into loaves, Jesus says, God's word is enough. When Satan comes and says, if you're truly God's son, show it by throwing yourself off and, and proving that God cares for you. Jesus says, even when it's hard to see God at work, I trust that he has got my best interest at heart. And then, in the most difficult of temptations, Satan offers Jesus the easy way out, the pain-free, the suffering-free way out to be co-ruler of the universe. But Jesus holds firm to the Father's plan, even when it means going the way of the cross. Because when we are weak, Jesus is strong. Jesus is victorious. So when it feels like everything is out of control in your life, you can remain calm because you know that Jesus is reigning. When you feel like you've, you feel that guilt and that shame because you've given in to the sins and temptations you've been trying to resist one more time, you can go and plea with God in prayer and know that he hears you and that he has the power to do something about it. And he will, if not today, if not tomorrow, then on the last day when we are delivered and made holy and perfect in the resurrection. See, the story in today's gospel lesson, as Jesus is tempted and and resists perfectly, is not a story for us to emulate. It's not something for us to live up to or to aspire to be. It's a reminder that when I am weak, he is strong in my place. It's a reminder that ultimately sin, death, and the devil do not have the authority or the power to claim my life, to condemn you. They do not have the power to say what the final word on who you are is. Rather, Jesus, through his victory, God has the power and the authority to forgive your sins, the power and authority to redeem and reclaim your life, the power and authority over the grave to give you new life in the resurrection. Jesus has the power. Therefore, you, as Christians, you, child of God, have no fear because you are held in God's arms. You don't have to be afraid because when you are weak, his strength is enough. When you fall short and give in to temptations, his perfection is enough to cover you. When you feel hopeless, His love, his promises are enough to carry you through. When you feel broken and you need healing, his grace is enough. Because Jesus has done what you and I could never do. He lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death in our place. 
so that we can be held in God's embrace. We don't have to hide and cower in fear like Adam and Eve, but rather we know that as those who are in Christ Jesus, sin, death, and the devil have been conquered. They no longer hold any authority over who you are. They never get the last word on your life. Jesus does. And he says, because of what he has done, you are forgiven. You are free. You are claimed. Amen.